Hello and welcome to the Blue Collar Yields podcast. I am your host, Tom Migliaccio. At Blue Collar Yields, we will talk about real estate, entrepreneurialism, and many other topics. You can find more episodes on Apple Podcasts. And while there, don't forget to rate this show and subscribe. Our next guest is hard money lender and real estate investor Rod Stanback of Flip Funding, LLC. Rod started flipping houses in 2008, and coming from the School of Hard Knocks, Rod has learned a lot along the way. Outside of working with seasoned flippers, Rod also likes to help new investors and show them the mistakes he's made along the way and how to avoid them. In this episode, Rod and I are going to talk about some of the lessons he has learned and educate people as to what hard and private money lending is. All right, Rod, thanks for joining us today. No problem at all, Tom. Glad to be here. Let's dive right into it. You come back from college and you're working at a chain restaurant, if I'm not mistaken. How'd you initially get interested in real estate? Right, so I came home. First job I got was at Applebee's. It was the worst job of my life, honestly, but I wouldn't take it back in the world because it taught me a lot. It taught me to appreciate the little things especially after that experience. I mean, I got into real estate after that because I just had an epiphany one day. Ended up staying at, at uh, Applebee's for like maybe three years, or close to three years. And so I looked and like, well, wait a minute. And I took a step back and was like, this is not how I envision my life to pan out. I always had big aspirations and dreams and stuff, but I wasn't heading in the right direction. So I took a step back. And at the time, real estate was like on fire. This was pre-2008 when everybody was flipping and making like astronomical profits on these deals and stuff. So it piqued my interest and I wanted to find my way into the industry and I didn't have the money to just start buying houses and stuff. So I figured, you know, why not learn how to renovate the homes myself? So I went to Delaware County Community College for carpentry. got my carpentry certificate. Then I Finished that, and I went to Home Depot, applied to be like an independent contractor doing doors and windows. So I started doing that in like the South Philly area, the South Philly store, uh, Home Depot on Delaware Avenue. That was my store. So any orders that came out of there for like doors and windows and stuff, it would be me coming to do the installations. And from there, Home Depot was kind of charging higher prices. You know, I would do the job for Home Depot, and I would say, hey, you know, if you need any future work, I give them my business card a little cheaper than Home Depot, but the same quality right. because it was doing work. And so I slowly built my clientele, my own business, doing like doors, windows, and such. And then my brother, his best friend, I had heard about him remodeling houses. And I wanted to learn, like I said, the entire game from front to back of running home renovations. So I started to go do some work with him. And at the time, there was a New York investor that we were doing work for. And we were essentially taking warehouses and converting them into student housing, the Temple Hospital area. And that's when I really felt strongly about real estate investing because I saw this guy making a ton of money. But in my mind, you know, we were the ones doing all the hard work. So I was like, well, wait a minute. I had to get on the other side of this thing. And well, that's how I got into real estate. But my true entry was because of the market crash. So I remember, as I mentioned prior to that, I was trying to get in. So I was saving my money. I was doing doors and windows. Then I was still doing another restaurant job on the side. 
So I'm doing all this stuff to try to save some money so I could get into the game. And it just so happened that the market crashed. So the market crashes and you're sitting on a stockpile of cash, right? A little bit. I, I wouldn't consider it a stockpile, but it was definitely good enough to get me in the game at that time. Even when the crash first happened, I didn't really understand because I wasn't really in real estate. But I knew prices were going cheaper. And a guy that I knew knew I was looking to get into the game. And he told me about someone who had two properties for sale. Two properties for sale for $10,000, both of them. So I immediately jumped on that. And that was my entry into the real estate investment. So there were two properties, $10,000 each. Did that raise any red flags with you? It probably should have, but no, it didn't. Because the guy who presented the properties to me, he had the deeds and everything. And in my mind, I figured, you know, well, this guy has a deed. So it's legit because I'm thinking of it like this is an official government document. So why don't you tell us how those two houses turned out for you? So those two properties, come to find out they were actually stolen. How do you steal a property? Can you break this down for us, Rod? I can definitely tell you how he stole it. He was going around town, and you know, I'm sure a lot of these properties are old. So he would go and identify properties that have been sitting for a while. Then he would just do the research, public records, see who the owners were, if they owed any back taxes, or how long the property was sitting. And then he would check and see if that person was still alive. So he was targeting properties that were sitting for a while, owners were deceased, heirs probably long gone and forgot all about the property that's been sitting. So it wouldn't alarm anyone if someone just came on in and started doing the work because the neighbors, they encouraged that because it was an eyesore. So they were happy to see people coming in and fixing up the block because it reflects their value. But yeah, that's how he was going around stealing property. So you go in and you fix these properties up, right? How and when did you find out they were stolen? Of those two, first one I immediately rehabbed on my own and listed it for sale. And by the time I listed it, still the height of the market crash, but the project was done so good and it was priced reasonably. So it actually was on the contract in two weeks. And so... At leading up to the settlement, people were asking me for the HUD-1, you know, Tom, but if anyone doesn't, HUD-1 is a settlement statement that shows all the expenses associated with the transaction. And so I didn't know what the hell it was at this time. I'm like, what is a HUD? You know what I mean? So they're like, well, wait a minute. Tell us how you got this property. You know, and I told them. Immediately, they referred me to a lawyer. Then I got with a lawyer. And then it's Michael Adler, a guy in the city and. He told me that in order to keep the property, we had to do a quiet title process. And essentially what a quiet title process is, you have to basically try to find either the property, the rightful owner, or their heirs. So since these property owners were deceased, we had to search for their heirs. So uh, you had to put three weekly ads in the paper announcing that you're looking for the heirs of these properties. You have to do certified mailings, and I think maybe three certified mailings to multiple family members' addresses. In an attempt, you know, you have to try every approach to try to contact these people and see if they want this property or not. So for this one, the first one that I rehabbed, luckily no one ever responded and I got to keep the property because I had like a hundred grand in tied up in it for the rehab. So that would have been a hell of a loss for me. How did you fund the rehab? Slowly but surely. So it wasn't like three, six months. It actually took me 
Well, yeah, so I, I was working two jobs, saving money at the time and everything, so I had a little cushion I was sitting on, but I didn't have 100000 so right. I did it over the year, and then I raised money from friends and family to help me out with it. Once the market came back up, you know, I just refied and gave them the money back. That's awesome. So you're able to sell it. Now, what happened with the second one? So that one, I wasn't so lucky. I still was lucky in the end, but I wasn't so lucky in the sense that we did find her heirs. It was a lady that owned the property, and they did want some compensation for the property. But the good thing is that the last memory they have is that the property was sitting abandoned. It wasn't too valuable from their last memory. And it wasn't this time either, but I did put a little bit of money into this one. so. They just asked for $3,000. They could they figured it was a shell or they weren't doing anything with it. They completely forgot all about it. And they actually moved out to Oakland. So they just asked for $3,000, two sisters. So I cut the check and I was luckily able to keep that property as well. So I know you're on the funding side. Do you still invest in properties? And if so, has your strategy changed throughout the years? As you mentioned, started out as a real estate investor, but over the years, my focus has changed towards lending. And my concept behind that is that for real estate investing, everyone's out there searching for that deal, right? It's like yeah, everyone's in the race out there looking for them to scramble for the next deal. But I wanted to, again, put myself in a, a more of a position of power. So I figured everyone out there that's real estate investing wants money. They need money for their business to flourish. So I wanted to learn that side of the game. But yeah, so to answer your question, I do continue to invest. My strategy has changed over a while, so when I initially bought those two properties, I actually bought more stolen properties as well, but I didn't. after those two, I didn't keep it. I didn't want to go through the quiet title process or whatever. And late 0809 uh, was when I got those properties, and I acquired a few more, which I, it was the height of the recession, so it wasn't a strong buyer's market, So, but it was a good market to acquire. Of course, the recession, I probably acquired about five properties, and I held on to them. I actually still have... I just sold one just recently because the market went up. But so I was holding initially. But come 2012, when the market started to warm up a bit, that's when I started flipping. So I didn't hold anything from like 2012 until 16. Didn't hold anything. But now I'm focusing more on buying holds because I want to build my residual income up so that it can be my retirement if need be. So the houses you're buying. Are they turnkey properties or shells or somewhere in between? I like shells because of the value added. For me, if I'm going to invest, then I need equity. And maybe it's because of my background, but I'm not afraid of these projects. I've started out, you know, I went head first. When I first started converting them warehouses into student housing, I mean, these buildings were like in conditions you wouldn't believe. It's a hell of a way for me to get started because... I'm fearless yeah. with these projects. And so, yeah, I like shells so that I can put the money into it, build the value, create the value, and have a ton of equity in the end of the project. Yeah, and not to cut you off, but at Blue Color Yields, we focus on real estate as well as entrepreneurialism. And I just want to reflect on what you've said so far. So you come home from college, you're working at Applebee's, you're busting your butt for a couple of years, you just not where you saw yourself. You're not happy. So you go back to Delco, you get your certificate, you go to work for Home Depot. When you're at Home Depot, you're building your own book of business. Then you start working for this guy that's turning shells into student housing. See how much money he makes 
and you realize that being the worker isn't for you. You want to do it on your own. Then you start doing it on your own. Then you realize there's another level up. And that next level up is where you're at. So you really started at Applebee's and then worked your way up. And now you're sitting at the top loaning people money to flip their projects. And I think that's great. And I'm sure you've been tested a lot. What got you through the hard days of coming up? Yeah, I've had a ton of hard days. We didn't even get to that part. But what kept me going is my drive, my drive to get out of that situation. I don't think that any smarter than anyone else, anything like that. It's just that I listen, I pay attention, and I drive. I'm willing to do whatever it takes to accomplish what I'm trying to accomplish, any goal or get to where I'm trying to be. I just won't take no for an answer. I'm determined. So you mentioned you now hold these properties instead of flipping them, and I assume you rent them out, and that's for the passive income. Is that correct? Correct. At what year did you officially go from flipper or investor to lender? In 2014 uh, was when Flip Funding, which is my heart money company, was founded. So you said you like helping newbies getting started. Is it more of a headache to teach a new person versus working with someone who has the knowledge? I'm glad you asked that, Tal, because it actually is. I'm glad you touched on that because, like I mentioned, you heard my struggle as a beginning real estate investor. And one of my issues that I had when I first started, not even when I first started, because like I said, nobody was lending at that time. If you didn't have the funds or new people with the funds to, to loan you, then you weren't buying at this time. There seems to be a lot of negativeness associated with hard money lending. And I just want to address some of these. I talk to people all the time and they say, I want to get started in real estate, but I just don't have the money to do it. Or the bank won't approve me for one reason or another. And you've been there as well. Then if you don't mind, let's take some time to go over some of the preconceived misconceptions about hard money. So all hard money loans are expensive. Is that true or false? And is there a reason why they are or why they are not? I mean, I think that some hard money loans are expensive, but I definitely don't believe that all hard money loans are expensive, especially for the opportunity that this loan will provide that real estate investor. So, for example, let's say there's a property we buy at 100000 For the sake of everything, let's just pretend we're funding 100%. We always require at least 10% down. So it's not like a traditional mortgage where you can get FHA for three and a half percent or not even conventional for three to five percent down, but this is an investment and you can get it for at least 10 percent down. The barrier of entry isn't as difficult as people believe. And so to go back to the example, let's say you buy a house for a hundred thousand, put a hundred grand into it and it's worth three hundred thousand. Now let's say that person who wants to do this project only has fifty thousand. Now I just said that total project costs is two hundred thousand hundred to buy hundred to refit to repair the property. Mm-hmm. Let's say I ask someone to put down twenty thousand, ten percent of that project cost. Now that's twenty thousand, but there's a potential hundred thousand in profit on this deal. So would you consider putting down twenty thousand dollars that you have, you know, taking that twenty thousand and potentially earning a hundred thousand. So what you're saying is you're using leverage on twenty thousand dollars to make a $100,000 profit. Yeah. Granted, there are expenses associated with holding costs, 
closing costs associated with that. So let's just even say 20000 for holding and closing costs. But even twenty five, you're still saying to make seventy five grand, and you only put the use twenty grand of yours for that deal. So hard money lenders are predatory loan sharks. They prey on the weak and take advantage of people that have nowhere else to go. Is that true? Absolutely not. I will say that there are some predatory lenders out there because it actually can be more profitable for a lender to take a property back. Because some people have a perspective where though they may loan on deals that they hope or pretty sure that the borrower is going to default on because they see a lot of equity in that. There are some sharks out there, but for the most part, I would say majority of the industry isn't like that. We have an alignment of interest for the borrowers. So for me, in general, my business only flourishes when real estate investors are successful. I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that their project is a success, whether it's resources, any strategies or tips that I can provide, I'm going to do that because if someone fails, that's one less borrower that I'm going to have. We don't have any incentive to be predatory or hope that our borrower's project doesn't succeed. So on top of that, let's say a small percentage of people are sharks or predators and they make these loans to hope that they fail. Can you walk us through the foreclosure process? It's not as easy as, hey, you didn't pay the loan. Now I get the property back, right? It takes months and months, and it actually costs you a lot of money, if I'm not mistaken. Absolutely. The process can be expensive. It can be long and dragged out. So it all depends on what type of state you're in. If you're in judicial or non-judicial processes, it varies for those states and everything. But that's not a pleasant process at all. So the way a lot of people get around foreclosures are we have a document called a deed in lieu of foreclosure. So let's say a borrower defaults for a couple of months, we have the right to take that property, take the deed back instead okay. of having to go through the foreclosure process. Hard money lenders do no due diligence. Not at all. I mean, if you find someone that doesn't do any due diligence, then they're not going to last long. They must be someone new that's just starting out for the first week or two because you wouldn't last any longer than that. It's no way for you to be a success because a hard money lender has to do sort of the same due diligence as, as any real estate investor because, again, our goal is to make sure that a real estate investor is going to earn a profit. If they're not going to earn a profit, then it's not beneficial to them or us. So we do our due diligence. We check the property type to make sure that it's owned properly. We make sure that the value is there. I mean, of course, we make sure the profit is there, like I said. We search conditions. If we do the condition, we check them. Sorry, we check the condition of the property as well through like inspections, appraisals. That's how we verify the value of the property. Everything. Mm-hmm. But the property is insured in case that there's a peril or it burns down. We make sure that there's replacement costs. So we're protected for sure. We perform due diligence. Now and then another one. Hard money is only for people with bad credit. Is that true? No, not at all. It's for people who want to who don't want to use all their money or just would like to leverage their money to acquire more assets. Hard money borrowers have no other options. All the banks have turned them away. You're their only option. Is that true? No. Some people have the cash. Some people have a network of people who may have cash sitting around that don't know what to do with it or looking for a higher return. So, you know, you can raise money from family and friends. You can raise money from other people, whether they're affluent or retiree or so anyone with a little extra cash that's looking for 
a safe, consistent return on that money. All hard money loans are no doc loans. That's not true. There's certain levels of like hard money lenders. So you have some hard money lenders, which are hard, pretty much no doc. But then you also have some soft money lenders, quote unquote, they call them. Would be someone who requests tax returns and W-2s, you know, everything similar to a bank. There's not many out there like that, but there are some depending on the company and the type of loan that you apply for. Hard money lenders give you all the money, so you don't need money as an investor. That's not true. As an investor, you always need skin in the game. Most hard money lenders would like to see skin in the game from any investor because if you don't have anything tied up, of course, we all want to make money, but if people like, but if shit gets thick, like it does in these projects, it's not all pieces and cream like you see on HGTV or even social media and everything. There's a lot of heartache and hassle that comes with this stuff. You're less inclined to walk away if you're invested in this as well. So again, it's a partnership. Look at a hard money lender as a capital partner. We're not looking to take on all the liability, but we're looking where we are willing to help you get in the game and scale your business with minimal risk. Hard money loans give borrowers less control over their property. Uh, that's the furthest thing I've heard from the truth because, I mean, it's still essentially, well, you're the owner, but we have a first position lien on the property, but you're free to do basically whatever you want with the property. It's just that it all has to be agreed upon prior to this loan funding, and you have to stay the course. So we can't agree that you're going to take this single-family property, just rehab it, refinance it, and then keep it on your books, and then we find out that you're taking this property that's zoned as a single-family residence, convert it into a four-unit, when it's not zoned for that. So as long as you're moving according to the plans and the scope of work or the construction budget and so forth, there's really no issues at all. Banks are more easier to deal with than private lenders. That's absolutely false. I think everyone knows that. But to explain the differences, banks require a ton of paperwork. Me, per se, we have programs where we can do loans with no bank statements. None of our loans require tax returns, W-2s. And banks are also going to take a lot longer than a hard money lender. So I've had a conversation with a commercial banker just a couple of weeks ago, and he told me that his average turn time for a loan closing was about 60 to 90 days. I was like flabbergasted when I heard that. I couldn't believe it because I just really didn't think that loans would still take this long to close in the age of technology and everything like that. So, yeah. But I'm glad that keeps a lane for hard money lenders. So different speed and less hassle. So we only have like a handful of documents that we require and we can close a loan as quickly as a week, but on average about two weeks. And I asked Rod all these questions and for people who don't know, hard money does get a bad rap and it's not right that it gets a bad rap, but what they're used for is people that want to close quickly on properties with the good terms. They don't want to wait the 60 to 90 days to close or sometimes the bank gets a little scared if you're a single family or a multifamily investor and they go and they see you have 10, 12, 15 outstanding loans on these properties. They get a little scared and think that you might be a little over leveraged because they're more conservative, even though the 12 to 15 properties you have might have really good positive cash flow. The bank just looks at it 
from the downside. So that's why most people want to use these. And of course, the leverage, as Rod pointed out earlier, you can turn $20,000 into $75,000, $80,000 while doing this. So that's my take on hard and private money loans. And to add to that, Tom, most banks won't lend on assets. If you have to do a rehab on a project, nine times out of 10, the bank won't approve you. They have the two or three K loans, but they're a little more difficult to qualify. And they're for personal residence for the most part. Hard money or private money, raising capital, whatever, that's one of your only options of getting the funds to actually repair a property. So, Rod, if I'm new and I'm looking to get involved in this, what kind of rates and leverage are you seeing out there for newbies? For newbies, you're on a higher scale of the uh, interest rate. So, to be realistic, a newbie can expect anywhere from maybe 105 to 12% interest rate. For flip funding, it'll be more about 11%. Don't you guys charge like one to three points for origination? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so what about yeah. origination? A newbie will probably be about three points. Expand borrowers are two, two and a half. So that spread isn't that far off. You're only 50 bips or 50 basis points as, as we call it off. But as the newbie does it more and more, I assume that double digit, 10, 11 percent, that kind of shrinks to high single digit. Would that be fair to say? Right. Pricing for our money loans is based on experience. And the experience is based on what have you done lately, so to say. So when we look at experience, we want to see what you've done in the past 24 months. And that's because, as you know, Tom, markets change. Just because you could have done 50 deals pre-2008, but this is a different market. So we want to see what you've done lately and that's what your experience is considered. You know, everything that you've done in the past 24 months. So Rod, any good investor knows whether they're new or seasoned vet that they should shop around for private lenders. They need to know that the private lender is going to show up at the closing table with the funds. What questions should investors be asking potential private money lenders so they can feel more comfortable that the lender will perform? Well, I would say first, look at the reviews. Nowadays, Google, Yelp, and all the search engines, easy to check reviews, Facebook. It's easy to kind of do your due diligence on the company prior to even contacting them. Ask around, ask the lender for referrals uh, so you can contact past clients of theirs, hear how their experience were. If they're local to your market, just ask around other investors that may have experienced these lenders. They can tell you from firsthand how their experience was if they came through for them or if they dropped the ball. But it's important to ask a lender how long they've been around. I would like to say that the longer a company has been established, the more seasoned they are, the more systems and processes they have in place to ensure that you will have a pleasant experience and the more resources they would have to ensure that your deal is going to get funded. What separates Rod and Flip Funding LLC from the other lenders out there? What separates me, uh, Flip Rod, and Flip Funding LLC is the fact that I'm an investor at heart, you know, first and foremost. So I get it. I understand what investors need, what they want, what they're looking for, and I understand their point of view. When I got into the business, I assumed that all of them understood real estate investing, but most of them only know the numbers. They only know the finance, so they don't know how to 
think like an investor, uh, understand an investor's perspective on certain things. So that's the advantage that I have is that I actually understand it and I give a damn at the end of the day because I've been through it myself and I know all the heartaches and the troubles, which is why I wanted to cater my business towards new investors. To go back, and I don't think I fully answered that question. It is, honestly, much more of a pain to deal with a new investor. But at the end of the day, I was once a new investor. And when you're trying to get into the industry, a lot of lenders will not work with a first-time investor. Obviously so, because it's more risky, right? But me being an investor, I was told no when I applied for loans. I was told that you don't have any experience, but someone has to give you a shot. So that's where I come in at. On top of that, let's say they get good at it and they just needed someone to put them on. Now you're their guy, right? You know, every loan and property they look at, that's winding up on your desk, right? Putting more money in your pocket. Yep, that's true. And to elaborate a little further on that, we're relationship-based because I started this company on my own. I didn't have any money or anything. Like, I started out as a loan broker. Just find the resources, find the people who needed the money, the capital, and I was like the middleman. So my growth in this industry took a lot longer than someone who has strong, who's, cap, who's backed by strong capital. Rod, thanks for coming today. We really appreciate your time. Can you tell us how we can get in touch with you and where we can find more information on Flip Funding LLC? Sure. So you can learn more about Flip Funding at, on the website, flipfunding.com. We're on Instagram at flipfunding. I'm on Instagram. I'm not too active, but I'm planning on getting back active. I'm at rod underscore flip funding. You can contact the company 844-354-7386 if you have any questions. If you have any loan scenarios that you need priced, we'll be glad to help you. Thank you, Tom, for the opportunity. I appreciate you all. I'm here if you ever need me for anything. Thanks, Rod. Appreciate your time today. We'll talk soon. All right, Tom. Thank you, sir. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode. We hope you enjoyed it. If there are more topics you would like to hear about, you can email us at info at bluecollaryields.com. For more episodes, you can search Blue Collar Yields on Apple Podcasts.